if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're uh, walking through uh, the book of Romans to get ourselves uh, uh, familiar with it so that we might understand the uh, wonder of a statement that comes in chapter 12. And uh, chapter 12 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is, this is a good idea to give yourself to the Lord. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're trying to understand exactly where Paul's at when he tells us this so we can see the full uh, power of this. And as we think about that, the notion of the gospel is in a preeminent uh, part of this. And the, the gospel is a powerful message. Uh, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first and also to the Greek. And we, we notice that one of the problems with the gospel is a thing called sin that we often don't like to think about and a lot of times we think about other people's sin, but we don't like to look at our own sin. In fact, we have a tendency to judge other people's sin at the excuse of our own sin. And we, we have a tendency to hold other people to a standard that we won't even hold ourselves to. And we also have a tendency to think, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, so that means I'm okay. And all of those forms of judgment are extremely uh, dangerous because when we judge in that way, we're just showing ourselves to be uh, guilty uh, before God in our own. And so we talked about that, and then we moved on last week, and we talked about chapter 3. And the key statement here is that he being God, God might be just. He, he has to be consistent with his character in order to save us. He cannot be contrary to who he is in the process of saving us. And so he can't say, like people so often do, you come to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry, I did this, whatever else. And they go, oh, that's okay, it didn't bother me. And, and when they say that, they're, they're most often lying. It did bother them, but they're, they're trying to take the bluntness out of that. And so they say, oh, don't worry, it, it's all right. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and... and, and I, I've tried to discipline myself. This is a really hard thing to do. I've tried to discipline myself that when people come to me and say they're sorry, that I, that I look at them and I say, I appreciate you doing that, and I do forgive you. Thank you. Because, uh, because it, it, it doesn't do any good to deny the reality of what the problem is. He is the just one. But even better than that, if there could be something better than that, he is the gracious one. And he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And, and so we move on, and uh, in, in, in Paul's discussions with the Romans, he's going to turn his attention to a particular Old Testament character that is the premier example for us. It's Abraham. Abraham the man of God, the friend of God. It describes Abraham in the book of Genesis. In fact, Abraham is, is the father of this whole thing throughout the Old Testament. 
and, and God calls Abraham. And Moses, as he is leading the children of Israel uh, through the wilderness wanderings and preparing them to go back to this, the promised land, he wants them to know their history. And so he pens the book of beginnings, Genesis. And yes, he tells about creation. And yes, he tells about the flood. And yes, he tells about the Tower of Babel. And yes, he, but he, he comes down on a guy by the name of Abraham. And Abraham becomes the focus of the book of Genesis. Abraham, his son, his son's sons, uh, Abraham's family. This becomes the, the, the patriarchs, the, the ancient fathers of the nation. And Abraham is a key figure in all of this. And so what Paul's going to establish in chapter 4 is that this that I'm talking to you about, Paul's going to say, this isn't something new that God is gracious. This isn't something new that God looks for faith in us. This isn't something new that God must justify us through our faith in Christ. In fact, Let's go all the way back to Abraham and let's examine him and let's, let's see about this. And so our, our verse for the week is, uh, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was, it was counted to him for righteousness. In fact, this is the answer to a question that Paul asks in verse 1 of chapter 4. What shall we say then about Abraham? Now, Paul's going to do this throughout the book of Romans. He's going to ask questions. What about this? What about this? And what about this? He's trying to get us to walk along with him as he makes his different arguments, as he's convincing us and showing us the proofs of what the scriptures teach. And this is the first such question that he brings up, is, is this thing about, about Abraham. It's interesting to note the first question that, that Paul brings up is a question about, what about this guy who appears to have done enough? Abraham. What shall we say about Abraham, our father, what, what has happened with him according to the flesh? Because if Abraham is, is justified by works, he's got something to boast. Maybe not before God, but he, he has something to make a claim about. And to all of that, Paul gives this answer. What does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, uh, so what's the big deal about this? Uh, why, why does Paul uh, uh, hinge so much to the argument? And, and what I want us to focus in on today is, is the big deal comes down to uh, three uh, different relationships. And uh, the first is, is a family relationship. And and and. Paul is going to emphasize that strongly. Uh, you could go through this entire chapter and you could uh, underline all the family terms. Uh, Abraham, if, if you'll notice back in verse 1, it says, What about Abraham, our father? Now you look at that and you say, Oh, well, Paul's referring to himself. 
that, that, that he's a Jew, and, uh, and, and he's not referring to Abram as being our father, but you walk on down through this chapter, and you underline all the different times the word uh, father comes up, and, and you become uh, uh, keenly aware of the fact that, that uh, there's way more to it than just he's the father of the Jews. In fact, the best way to see this is by walking all the way back to the original quotation that we find here, and it's found in Genesis chapter 15. This is a beautiful scene. A night, uh, probably not like last night where there was a full moon, probably a, a night where there wasn't a full moon where you could really see the stars uh, maybe one of those scenes like when you have on vacation and you're out in Colorado and you're up on the mountains and, uh, and you look up at the stars and it looks like there's a trillion of them up there. And, and God and Abraham are in conversation. And God says, come outside. So they wander outside the tent. On that clear night, Abraham looks up toward heaven. And God asks him a question. Are you able to number all of those? Of course he can't. And God says, so shall your offspring be. Now you think about that. He he doesn't have a he didn't have one child yet. He and Sarah have been married a number of years. They've traveled from Ur of the Chaldees up around, and they're down in the land that God has promised wherever he'd walk. But that would be it. And 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 God's promising him uh, uh, offspring. In fact, later in this very same chapter of Romans four, we we find another quotation from the book of Genesis where where God tells Abraham, "You're going to be many nations." Nations? How about just one baby in a crib? <laughs> but, but here God says, you, you're, you're going to be... Now, but there's something here important to notice. It's singular. You're going to be Nations! There's going to be a multitude. But the original promise is for an offspring. If you walk back to Genesis chapter 3, and in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and God is confronting them about their sin. And, and they've, they've eaten of the forbidden fruit, and there's, there's a discussion taking place between God and them. And, and God speaks to the woman, and he says to the woman, the, 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 the serpent shall bruise the heel of the one, but he shall bruise his head. That's the first mention of the idea that God was going to take care of sin by way of one. And in this particular interchange between Abraham and the Lord, the focus is on one. And Abraham believes God 
for the one. I don't know how many times I've been talking to someone and they've uh, been saying something uh, about uh, someone else, whether or not they know the Lord as their Savior or not. And they'll say, well, they believe in God. Uh, like like they, they believe in there's a power in the universe. Is that enough? And, and I think it is critical that we understand that a person has to accept the reality that there is a supreme being of the universe. I'm not, I'm not in any way questioning that. But salvation comes down to an understanding of the one. Jesus says it this way in, in, in John uh, uh, chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Abraham believes God for the one. He, he, he places a confidence that the God of the universe is somehow going to be able to interact into this world through one. And he's going to achieve his purposes of nations. He's going to achieve his purposes of peoples. He's going to achieve his purposes for all of humanity through the one. And Abraham believes God. And at this point, the the text makes it very clear that this Abraham is our father. (laughs) This is the the pathway. This is the roadway. This is uh, how uh, uh, we come to to understand uh, and to process what it is that God has for us. Uh, He was not weakened in his faith later in the same chapter of Romans, verse 19, when, when he considered his own body, when it was as good as dead. This is years after the verse we looked at back in chapter 15 of Genesis. This is much later. God made that original promise to Abraham when he first came into the land. But this is after he's wandered around this land for 20 years, believing God, trusting God, moving with God. And now, now here he, he's, he's, he's got a, a son by the name of Ishmael that, that he's had by way of a, of a slave girl named Hagar. And, and, and God comes to him and says, there's going to be the real one, uh, Isaac. And Sarah's 100 years old. Uh, She's back laughing in the tent. And these these three visitors are there and they're eating a meal. And one of them looks at Abraham and says, within the year, I'm going to visit you. And Abraham's 100 And he was not weakened in his faith when he considered his own body. What what the text is trying to show us that that, that becomes abundantly clear is though Abraham was a good person, his confidence was not in his goodness. His confidence was not in his ability. His confidence was not in the fact that he had walked with God. His confidence was in God. And that his face wasn't shaken by his own uh, ability or inability. Either way, his faith was in God who would provide. That's why uh, uh, 
down just a little bit later in Romans chapter uh, uh, 4, this same chapter in verse 6, it, it tells us about David. It says, just as David. Who was David? David became the, the king of the nation. And we talked about David last week. David is like the, if, if you could sum up all of the Jewish history, David was the guy for the Jews. He was the great king, King David. It was all the promises of God were reiterated that were given to Abraham were reiterated to David and David was going to be this great king. And last week we noticed that that the quotation of David was Psalm 51. And now the quotation of David is going to be Psalm 32. These are the two uh, premier uh, writings of David of repentance. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. How many of you slip up? Not a big deal. You just slip up. Uh, I, you know, I, I was cutting limbs down this week uh, out in the yard and, uh, and cutting limbs down and, and one of the trees was right over there by the power lines. And, and I looked at that, uh, that tree and I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I think I could cut that tree down and I could drop it and I think it'd go to the right place. I looked at it and I thought, you know, I could probably do that 99 times out of 100. And I wonder if this is the 100th time. And I, and I heard a chainsaw uh, buzzing. And, and I thought, I, I wonder what that is. And, and, and then I thought, I, I think I might know what that is. And, and out on the street in front of my house, about a block down, the guy was uh, cutting down trees who does it for a living. He has all of the tools, he has all of the ladders, he has all the special saws, but he has all of the experience. And I, and I went out to where this guy was, and I said, hey, I got a question for you. I'm trying to figure out how much my life is worth. I've got a tree in my backyard. And he goes, well, let's go take a look at it. And he walked down there, and he stood and looked up at this tree, and he looked at it, and he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll take that tree down for 60 bucks. And I thought, you know, I think my life is worth 60 bucks. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. He goes, is that too much? And I didn't want to tell him I was willing to pay him actually quite a bit more than that. But I looked and I said, no, no, no. Yeah, it's 60 bucks. Now, I didn't run it by Charlene, you know, uh, because uh, she might have said, ah, 60 bucks is too much. Go out there and climb on the ladder, Brian. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> See, what David for all of his goodness and for all of his greatness and for all of his glory as the king of Israel, he realized he didn't want it to come down to his works. And by the way, David is in the line of Abraham, and Abraham was David's father. See, the, the, this people of faith thing uh, is, is a powerful notion that the scriptures teach strongly uh, concerning. So what's the big deal? Well, first of all, it's, there's a big deal of relationship. We have a relationship with Abraham. We're one of the nations that, that, uh, that would flow from him. And, and we have a, a relationship with him that, that's not just a relationship of uh, him being our father, but it's a secondary relationship. It, it, the difference between wages and... Uh, and a gift. Now, if you, you look down in, in the passage here, uh, it says, not to him who works, verse 4, are his wages counted as a gift, but as his due. 
Now, how many of you ever gone to work and you get done with a hard day's work and your boss comes up to you and he says, hey, let me give you something. He ain't giving me anything. You're paying me. This isn't a, this isn't a, a gift. You're, you're paying me for what work I have done for you. Now, I used to work for my dad. And uh, I'd work for my dad on Saturdays down at the lumber yard. And, and I would go work for him for uh, this back in the 70s. And I'd go work for him for, uh, well, I'd go with him to the lumber yard at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we'd sit around for a little bit. And he'd have this happen and that happen. They'd open the store and whatever else. And finally, I'd have a few boards I'd stack away. And it'd be like an hour, maybe an hour and a half of stacking lumber back into the bins. And then I'd come up and sit around. And he'd say, hey, go over to Rosencrantz, the Chevrolet dealership next year, next, next door, and buy yourself a Coke. And I'd go over and buy myself a Coke at Rosencrantz. And I'd sit around for another hour. About one o'clock my dad would get done with the books and everything else I'd worked about an hour and uh and my dad said well Brian come on in here let's settle up what do I owe you and I said I don't know dad I I worked probably about about an hour something like that maybe an hour and a half dad said well I don't know you got in the truck we left home what about 7 30 well it was closer to eight o'clock well I'll let you call 7 30 what is it now it's uh, one o'clock I go well yeah we won't be home probably for oh another couple hours that, that works out to about seven and a half hours and uh, what do you think you're worth? Well, at this point in time, I could say 50 bucks an hour. It doesn't matter because, you know, we're not really talking about what I'm worth at this point. And I say, I don't know, Dad, whatever you think I'm worth. And he go, oh, you know, this is kind of manual labor and such. I'd have to pay someone else six, seven dollars an hour to do this. Well, not for seven hours, but anyhow, so he'd come up with a, num- a number like six hours, and six dollars an hour, and he'd take six times seven, he says, let's just round up to eight, because I'm not very good at uh, f- uh, uh, figures and such. I never told my kids this story when they were around, because uh, I didn't want them doing this to me. And so, I'd end up with 50 bucks on Saturday, best day of the week to have a little bit of money. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. I didn't want dad to pay me according to what I deserved. I was more than willing to have it be a gift at this point in time. By the way, we're in Romans. Does does any kind of thought start to ring? Hey, this wages and gifts and all this, there's somewhere else in Romans that, that, uh, oh yeah, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you a very simple question. Do you want what you deserve out of life? Or do you want what a gracious Father wants to give you? Do you want what you deserve or do you want what a gracious father is willing to give you? See, that's the difference between wages and a gift. See, first of all, this whole thing's relational in that it's family relational, but it's, it's secondly it's faith. Do I believe 
that God has a good plan for me through the person of Christ that I can trust Him with. Well, now I've already given away the third one. The verse that we're looking at as our memory verse of the week is Romans 4, 3. And it starts out with the statement, for the scriptures say. And, and it's as though what's being said is of greater import, of greater value, of greater significance, because this is what God has to say about what Abraham went through. In other words, we're not talking about my opinion. We're not even talking about your opinion. We're talking about God's opinion as communicated through scriptures. Now, just to kind of help us understand this whole thing, in another place, the events with the life of of Abraham are being described in the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, the same writer, Paul, in talking about these same exact events, says this about uh, the events. It says, they were 430 years before the law. Now, this is what's important to realize. Moses is the one that writes down the events of Genesis chapter 15. Moses wrote these things down some 400 and some years after Abraham had passed from the face of the earth. Abraham never knew the statement. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That was never given to Abraham. It's not like God gave him a plaque. You did a good job today and you're a man of faith and here's a plaque. You believed me and it's accounted to you for righteousness and he's given this plaque. No, Moses writes that down into the book of Genesis some 400 years later. It's, It's way after the event. This is all to bring to mind something that's critically important about this whole issue. We'll, we'll go down through the end of chapter 4, and we're going to go down to, uh, let's go down to verse 21. Now, as you're looking down toward verse 21, you want, we want to remember this. The, the law brings wrath. Okay, the, the law brings wrath, and we, we looked at that back in chapter 3. But, but if there is no law, there's no righteousness. In other words, we have to have the law to realize what the standard is. And so the law brings wrath, which is bad, but it brings also an understanding that, there, that there's righteousness and that, that what is right and what is wrong and that there's transgression. And so the law is a, a necessary part of this whole thing. And it comes 430 years. But down in verse 21... Talking about Abraham, it says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Did Abraham have the law? No. Did Abraham know what the Ten Commandments were? No. Did Abraham understand all the things that were going to happen between uh, his time and when Jesus would come to earth? Not a chance. Uh, I, I, I don't know if Abraham had an idea it was going to be a long time. I don't know if Abraham had an idea it was going to be a short time. And it, and it wasn't going to be that long. It was only going to be a couple thousand years, you know, a 
A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. But yet, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be 2,000 years. It's going to be 400 years before they really even know how bad the situation is and the law is given. But despite not knowing all of that, he was fully convinced. Now, I was walking through the back roads of Bedford, Iowa on a uh, cool June evening. Walking beside me was a girl. And at that moment, I came to a realization. This is the best woman I could ever have. We've gone through a lot, Charlene. But on that night in June, back in 1981, I was fully convinced. You're going to go through a lot in life. A lot of stuff you don't understand. A lot of stuff that will weigh heavy on you. But just like Abraham, you can be fully convinced. At a moment in time, We've all had relationships fail. We've all had relationships that didn't quite get to where we wanted them to do, but, but there was a moment in time when we were fully convinced. And at this moment in time, Abraham, under the starlit night of Israel, hundreds of years before the nation's even going to be called Israel, Abraham thinks this God can keep his promises. And that is why his faith was counted to who? To him. Because they're under the stars that night. It's not, it's not all the stuff that's going to happen with Isaac. It's not all the stuff that's going to happen with Sarah. It's not all the stuff that's going to happen with Lot. It's not all this. It's, it's there under the stars on that night. He was fully convinced. And, and, and that moment is why his faith is counted to him. Why, why, am I, why am I harping on this? Because the very next verse says this. But for ours also. 
In other words, if this whole thing happened with Abraham, this moment in time, and he goes on in verse 24 and he says, this, isn't, this didn't just happen for Abraham. This, this happens so that we will realize for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we, we've got a hundred and some stories here. We have a hundred and some stories. But in the basement of Blue Ridge Bible Church, there's a classroom that's now office space. It was where children's church met. A little boy, five years old, hears the gospel offer. And that little boy responds with his hand in the air. And the leader of the class comes over to that little boy and says, "Uh, Brian, what question do you have? And I don't know the exact words that I gave, but I said something like, I want that. And at that moment in time, Cha-ching. Cha-ching. It is counted to us who believe in him. Have you had a moment in time where you put your faith in the God who made you a promise and trusted him. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you're a bad person. I'm not asking if you've done all kinds of different things that would be good for a person to do, many of which I advocate and encourage. I'm asking not if you've done a single thing. I'm asking Do you believe in a promise-making God who said, my son on the cross is enough for you? And have you trusted him? Because if you have, there is a book in heaven where there's a pen with a steel point that's engraved your name. I watched the British Open last week. They have the, they have the, 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 the cup that, that's presented to the champion, the claret jug, and it's, it's brought out to the edge of the 18th green, and they, they start hitting their balls up on that last green, and a, the guy that's leading the tournament comes up there, and there's an engraver there, and he's got a little band of silver that's going to be attached to the bottom of the claret jug, and, and the Italian dude uh, hits his ball up on the green. Not a move. Uh, the Italian guy 
puts his putt over there within a matter of inches. Not a move. The Italian guy taps it in, and the engraver goes to work. At the moment that you put your faith in this God who makes you a promise, cha-ching, it's counted to you for righteousness in the courts of heaven. Abraham, our father, taught, taught us that. We have a relationship with him, a family relationship. We have a relationship with faith. Uh, it's, 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 it's a gift. It's, it's nothing you're going to earn. It's a gift. But we also have a foundational relationship. It's really not Abraham. It's ultimately, it's, it's a foundational relationship of a trust and confidence in a God who speaks through the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, I believe what God says in this book. Especially the stuff he says about Jesus. I don't maybe understand everything here, but I'll tell you this much. One thing I do understand perfectly clear, Christ offers himself for me as a payment that God demanded. And he satisfies that payment. And if I'll trust in him, God says, I will account that to any soul for righteousness. That's good news. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, (laughs) that's good news. Father, thank you that Abraham, our father, without, without a shred of scripture in his possession, went on a walk with the holy God on a dark night and that God made a promise And that God was you. And he said, Abraham, here's what I'm willing to do. And Abraham, in the depth of his heart, said, you can pull it off. You can do it. I rest my eternal destiny on the hope of what you've made a promise to do. And that was enough that a holy God would send his own son to die for the sins of Abraham, Isaac, David, Jeremiah, John, Matthew, Peter, James, and Brian. Thank you. And there's more than enough cover the need of anyone here today who will trust you as well.